Hello, my name is Andrew Gamison, and it is my privilege to welcome you to Culture Watch, a podcast of Speaking for Him. I'm super excited to welcome you to this, the 10th episode of Culture Watch, and I must say I'm excited about reaching this mini milestone. I wasn't sure how challenging it would be to bring you not just one, but two podcasts a week, but I must say that so far I have been up for the challenge, or should I say, Rather, God has equipped me to be up for the challenge, and I have greatly enjoyed the opportunity to be with you not just once, but twice a week. Coming to this microphone with important and encouraging information is something that I really enjoy, and I do not take that responsibility lightly. So thank you for being with me on this journey. Please feel free to contact me with any information that you want to share, maybe a news story that I should cover in a future episode, or maybe just some feedback about how I'm doing. That would mean an awful lot. So please make sure that you pay attention to the contact information that's about to roll at the end of the show, and that will allow you to be in contact with me. So I wanted to start out this episode by sharing with you a clip from a recent conversation that Kirk Cameron had with Billy Hollowell on the Higher Ground podcast where he really lays out the passion that drives the work he is currently doing. And the reason that I like this is because it really echoes my own sentiments. When I was in college, I began to be burdened for the family and the fact that the world took one look at male and female as genders and said, both genders are capable of doing the same things. There doesn't have to be any distinction between them. There's no need for different roles. It's all just a construct. And we have built on that erroneous belief over the years, and it's just gotten to be a higher and higher tower of terror as far as going away from God's blueprint. And that's why we find ourselves in the mess that we are currently in as a culture where there is no absolute truth and everyone is just living their own truth, but chaos is the result. Kirk Cameron, you've been speaking all over America. You've been speaking at libraries, talking with families and sharing your children's books with kids. What's been motivating this? Well, you know, I'm a dad. I've got six children and we got hopefully some grandkids on the way. And I'm tired of hanging with the whiners, the conservatives, the Christians who complain about culture getting worse and worse, but then just sort of sit back in their comfortable house watching Fox News crying in their Chick-fil-A soup. I want to I want to be counted with the winners. I want to win back the culture by protecting the hearts and minds of children and training them up in the way that they should go. Uh, we've done a great job of outsourcing our parenting and our grandparenting to government schools. That's not a good idea. And God has a way of, of allowing the enemies of liberty and the enemies of the faith to show us how to disciple our children by discipling them for us when we don't step up and uh, step into our sacred responsibilities. Kirk is 100% right here, and this is actually something that I've been saying for quite some time. I run into a number of Christians who don't want to have anything to do with 
politics and don't really think that Christians should speak into popular culture other than to share the gospel. Uh, but as I have said to many people, both personally and from this microphone, the reason that I am motivated to talk about current events is because Jesus is the answer to all of the problems that we are currently dealing with. The blueprint for life that is laid out in the Bible is not laid out to be contrary or to make us uncomfortable or just to make sure that we have no fun. Rather, the blueprint is laid out because the creator of the universe created us for a purpose and he knows what we need to be successful and to live peaceful lives here on earth. And since he created us, he has every right to tell us that. And every cultural issue has moral implications. So that brings us to why I think it's important to speak out. Yes, we know from the Bible that life is going to wax worse and worse. That is the promise that is given to us in the New Testament, that we are charging full tilt to the end times, and that the closer we get to the end times, we will have generations of people that are lovers of themselves, that don't respect their parents, that just want to be able to go off and do their own thing. That is why we now have a generation where we believe that 10 and 12 year old kids are perfectly capable of living their own truth when just a generation ago we didn't even necessarily think they knew always the right thing to wear out of the house. Little kids will wear shorts in the middle of winter or corduroys in the middle of summer if you let them have their druthers. They will eat ice cream for dinner as a main course if you let them have what they desire. And yet somehow they are able to make fundamental changes to who they are as a physical person based on a mental proclivity that they supposedly have. That's what comes from allowing the culture to dictate life instead of allowing the Bible to be the backbone of our culture. And so that is why I think it's important to speak out on so many issues of the day because we are not of the world, but we are in the world and we need to have a biblical response to it. So I totally appreciate what Kirk is saying there and I have a similar vision and passion to accomplish this both through Culture Watch and through the Speaking for Him podcast. That brings us to my next clip that I want to share with you. And this is from a lady from Portland, Oregon, talking about some of the consequences of defunding the police. My friend and I were just coming out of, uh, we just went for a drink at a place that I've been to many times, um, really close to my gym um, in a nice neighborhood. And we just had a drink and we were walking back to my car and he was going to go home and I was going to go home. And um, as we were walking down the street, I just, I got hit and fell to the ground, was knocked unconscious. Um, it happened really fast, kind of out of nowhere. He just threw a aluminum water bottle and it hit my face. It was, it was hurled pretty hard. And um, it just, it just got me, just knocked me right in the head. I was on the ground all I knew that is I, all I knew I was bleeding. I didn't really feel any pain at the time. 
I thought we were still being sort of attacked in some way. And so I managed to call 911. I was very calm, but I was also very sure I was going to die. My head, I was like, I'm going to just try to verbalize a report of what's happening. So there's some record of how I died. <laughs> no policeman came. I do not hold the police accountable for this at all. I hold our city accountable for defunding the police and making it, you know, um, we're in this situation where we don't have enough police force to protect our citizens. And we did this to ourselves. If we don't have police officers to come to the to the side of somebody who is under attack, then we're all on our own. Portland is one of the most liberal areas of the United States because it happens to reside in one of the most liberal states in the union. As far as I know, right now, there are only two states, I believe, that have legalized assisted suicide within the United States of America. And I believe those two states are California and Oregon. Just two. And if you think this is a simple matter of choice, allow me to remind you that a few years ago, there was a lady who had breast cancer and her insurance told her that they would pay for her to commit suicide, but they would not pay for her cancer treatment. So it's not always just that we're going to force you to commit suicide or just give you the choice to commit suicide. It can also be we're going to put you in an impossible situation where we make it more advantageous to you financially to end your life than to continue it with treatment. So it can be a very passive-aggressive approach to a policy that is anti-life and pro-death. But beyond that, since we have experienced the death of George Floyd, we have come upon a new era in American justice, which says that the criminals are right and the law enforcement officials are wrong. Now, of course, we common sense conservatives and Christians know that this does not mean that law enforcement officials are always right. Of course they are not. You are not always right by virtue of being a law enforcement official. You can be crooked and be evil even if you are a law enforcement official. But it is interesting to me how so many laws have been taken off the books or added to the books to allow criminals to have the upper hand. We have decriminalized criminal behavior and then we act like crime has gone down when in effect we have simply opened the door for more crime. We have a situation which we have covered a few times on this podcast already where certain places in our country say you can steal up to $1,000 of merchandise and not be prosecuted for it or not be apprehended for it. And in some places, it's even higher. Even if it's not by policy, by practice, it's just stay out of their way and don't hold them accountable for this horrible thing that they did. It's more important 
for us just to let them go than to preserve justice. And we basically have a generation of people that think they can get whatever they want because I'm just living my truth. But as I've talked about before on this podcast, that doesn't work. Because if I walk up to you and I take your cell phone from you, my truth would tell me that it is now my cell phone because I took it from you and thus, by possession, it's mine. But you, of course, would know that that's not true because you pay the bill, you picked out the cell phone, you have apps on that cell phone to meet your needs, it is your cell phone. So my taking it away from you does not make it mine. It simply takes what's not mine and puts it in my possession. We need to get back to a place where we believe that right is right and wrong is wrong. And that needs to be the basis for society. That was the basis for America. Did we do it right completely? No. But as Candace Owens has pointed out on her podcast, the Constitution, which so many liberals hate, actually gave us the tools to pursue justice through the years for the things that America initially got wrong. It was the Constitution being amended which allowed us to outlaw slavery. And it was the Constitution which allowed not only for slavery to be outlawed, but for black people to be acknowledged as people. And so we need to realize that our Constitution is a powerful document because it allows us the tools to do the right thing. The reason that Roe versus Wade fell last year is because it was a non-constitutional action by justices who did not have the power to act. The reality is that the Supreme Court can only act if a decision has been made. Supreme Courts have the job of examining laws that are on the books and examining challenges to those laws and telling us whether those challenges are legitimate. That is their job. And what the Supreme Court did last year when they overturned Roe versus Wade is they said that the states have the power to decide what they will do with abortion within their borders. And interestingly enough, that is, I believe, the primary impetus behind people like DeSantis saying they wouldn't just enforce a federal abortion ban out of the gate. Now, of course, in order for a president to sign one, it would have to go through the legislative process, not just be an executive order. So in that sense, it would be a good thing. But I think there is something to be said for states' rights. And a lot of babies are being saved right now because conservative states took their stand and said, we are going to have tough, strong laws on the side of life. Do I hope eventually that abortion is outlawed in our nation? Yes, because I do believe that it is 
modern day slavery, that it is very much the same thing. We have alienated millions of people because we do not see them as persons yet. And yet our God says, I knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I really believe that having this belief is fundamental to having order in our country. If we had a country that clearly and firmly upheld the value of life, I don't think you'd see as many stories where people were beating on each other or stealing each other's property. Would it still happen? Yes, because evil men will be a part of every era of history. But I think it would happen less. I remember being told at a Right to Life banquet that I believe it was in the decade or two after Roe versus Wade was put into practice, child abuse went up 30%. And the point was made that when you fail to respect and honor the unborn child, your respect and honor for the born child goes down. Well, the next story that I want to cover with you is a proposed debate between Governor Ron DeSantis and Governor Gavin Newsom. So here's something interesting that's playing out right now. As the presidential election is underway, there is a potential debate that could happen on Fox News with Sean Hannity uh, between California Governor Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis. Take a listen to both of them agreeing to it. You would do a two-hour debate with Ron DeSantis? I'd make it three. Three-hour um, debate with Yeah, me. make do it. I hear I mean, four? And, and do you do it with one-day notice with no notes. I look forward to that. You heard Gavin make the offer. Your answer is? Absolutely. I'm game. Let's get it done. Just tell me when and where. Biden may not even be the nominee. You could have Gavin Newsom. If we go down that direction, that's going to accelerate American decline. Okay, so both of these politicians agree that Sean Hannity would host this possible debate, but now they're trying to agree on the other terms, and there is some controversy. A uh, Gavin Newsom spokesperson says this, what a joke, DeSantis' counterproposal is littered with crutches to hide his insecurities and ineptitude, swapping, swapping opening statements with a hype video, cutting down the time he needs to be on stage, adding cheat notes in a cheering section. What do you make of all of this? A candidate that is running for president debating someone who is currently not. Well, I think it sounds like Gavin Newsom is getting a little bit of cold feet. Maybe he didn't think Ron DeSantis was actually going to agree to this. And look, one of the rules that the Gavin Newsom team is pushing back on is this idea of an audience, that DeSantis wants an audience. First of all, it's always better in a public debate to have an audience. We aren't in COVID times anymore. And there's also going to be a rule where both sides get to have the same number of allotment of tickets for their supporters. So it'd be pretty even. I think this comes down to Gavin Newsom knows he's going to have to put the policies of California. California against the policies of Florida, and that is just a losing proposition. I think this is Gavin Newsom trying to back out. This is an interesting proposition. The idea of a presidential candidate debating someone who, as of now, is not yet a presidential candidate, one-on-one, -on -one, talking about their policies. I really like the idea of, of a DeSantis-Newsom debate, and I'll tell you why. Right now we have 13 candidates in the Republican field. 
these early debates especially are going to be filled to the brim from one end of the stage to the other. Most of the debates are going to be multiple questions that are asked of each candidate and each candidate will get like three minutes to respond. So you won't really learn all that much about individual candidates. If these two candidates took three hours to answer questions just between the two of them, it would allow each of them the opportunity to outline their policies in detail. And I really think that's one of the reasons that Gavin Newsom is pushing back on some of this stuff, because I don't necessarily think that he thought that Ron DeSantis would be so eager to debate him that he would say yes right out of the gate, but he has. Now, I will say a word about having an audience. I think it is so important to have an audience when you want to be an effective speaker. And one way that I have seen this is in doing my podcast. It took me several months before I felt comfortable doing my podcast by myself because for the first seven plus years, I had a co-host in a studio and I always joked, especially with my first co-host, Adam McNutt, that the great thing about us doing the podcast together is that I knew um, at least one person would be listening in the studio, even if other people didn't. Now, ultimately, I did have other listeners, and I'm very thankful for them, but it was always better, I thought, to have a discussion format to my podcast than it was just to have me talking. And that is incidentally why I love to do my interview podcasts. I have a lot less editing work to do when that happens. And I just have, I think, a higher quality podcast when there's someone sitting opposite me and we're actually having a give and take, a dialogue as opposed to a monologue. So I definitely see the wisdom and the importance of having an audience. And if you are actually trying to reach the American people, it might be nice to have some of those American people in the room with you when you discuss these important topics. As I close today, I want to share with you a little bit about the younger generation of voters. I found this clip where uh, a Fox News correspondent was talking to some young people in South Carolina about what they are looking for in their next president. And I found it enlightening. So is there a candidate in the 2024 race that can rise above all the partisan politics and deliver on that hope? Well, we headed to the early primary state of South Carolina to find out. Watch. What is the number one issue for you in this next election? I think we need to stop spending money on unnecessary uh, excursions Mm -hmm. and endeavors. What do you mean by that? I think that we definitely need to stop sending a lot of our financial foreign aid to Ukraine, uh, as well as a lot of these other, like, NATO countries and stuff. Gavin, what about you? Well, there's a lot of issues right now, but I'd say the most important would be the deep state. Mm -hmm. Um, Just seeing with ever since Trump was elected in 2016, how adamant they have been to try to go after him and uh, other political opponents. I think largely it's the economy. It's for me, it's hard to see, you know, billionaires get not taxed their fair amount. And that burden falls to the lower and middle classes. The abortion issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a pro-life Democrat. 
um, and I. Do they still exist? We we still exist. <laughs> we still exist. It's so interesting that you have that point of view because there's a lot of polling that suggests that Republicans should stay away from that issue because it could hurt them, and you you don't believe so. These are human beings being killed in our communities every day. And, you know, if there's any candidate on either side of the uh, political aisle that wants my vote, you know, they're going to have to face the abortion issue head on. Mm -hmm. Janae, what's the number one issue for you? I would say broken families is probably at the forefront, and I think that stems from this war on masculinity that we've been seeing. So Mm -hmm. I I think that that's due to to a society just having this perspective on men as oppressors and not even giving them a fair chance in all aspects of life. That's the first time I've heard someone (laughs) say that's the number one issue. Why why do you have such a passion for that issue specifically? Well, if you look at the numbers, suicide rates for men are three to four times higher than women, and 70% of men committed suicide, the percentage of suicides in 2021. So we have an epidemic on a depression, especially young men, and Mm -hmm. I've seen them continue to fall by the wayside. Trevor, what about you? What's the number one issue? I would say immigration as a whole, both legal and legal. Um, part of the reason why I like President Trump so much is because he's such a hawk on immigration. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants to build the wall to keep these violent, you know, offenders out. And uh, we need to really put our foot down on that if we're going to, you know, get things done in this country. One of the things that was promised from this administration is to forgive student loan debt. Who's in support of getting rid of that student loan debt? Okay, so you're halfway there. So what do you mean by that? So I think there should be special provisions. I don't think outright it should be completely forgiven. However, I think that college is so expensive nowadays. There needs to be some way we can think about repaying these student loans off because, you know, we as the gener- as Generation Z, we're really struggling. I do agree with Trevor in terms of it is difficult to try to get money. Um, but there are options, there are scholarships, there are other ways that money can be obtained for the student. Um, but as far as forgiving student loans, I would try to keep that as a minimum. Because mm-hmm. it's, in the end, it does fall on the taxpayer. Mm-hmm. I thought this conversation was very refreshing. First of all, uh, because there were a variety of opinions on the panel, but they were respectful of one another. They didn't talk over one another. They waited their turn to voice their opinion. And the sad thing is, I think that presidential candidates and other political candidates could learn a thing or two about how to properly debate a topic from young people like this. I really appreciated their approach. They had different ideas, but they talked about them in a respectful manner. A couple things that stood out to me was, first of all, the pro-life Democrat and talking about how important life was to him and how whatever candidate he chooses has to have life at the forefront of his platform. Well, from everything that I know about what's going on right now, that person is going to be a Republican because the Democrats spent all of the 2020 election cycle trying to prove that they were a better baby killer than the next Democratic candidate. That was their primary goal, was to push abortion on America and to kill their future, which I never understood why a part of the electorate 
um, or a party of the electorate, I should say, would want to kill their future voters. But that is literally what they spent their time doing. And then we had leaders from that same Democratic Party a couple of years ago saying we need to let 11 million uh, illegal immigrants into the country because we don't have enough people working jobs. Well, maybe if you didn't encourage Americans to kill their babies at the high rates that they have been, you wouldn't have the lack of employee problems that you have now. That's just logic, folks, and I wish more people would use it. I appreciated the young lady that talked about her concern for broken families. I understand that there are different circumstances for every family, and there's always a story for why marriages break up. But there's also a reason why God put men and women together in matrimony to build up families. And that was to strengthen society. And so if we want a strong society, we need to get back to a place where there are strong families. I appreciated the discussion on college loans. We've talked about that on this show, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Uh, But again, I'll just say, unless you turn off the spigot and change the way we're doing things, no amount of current loan forgiveness is going to change future problems. And I do agree with these young people that college has become astronomical in price and that it does in some way need to become more affordable. Well, I hope that you have benefited from today's episode. If you have any feedback on the stories uh, that I've discussed or you have any opinions you'd like to share, you can either give me a comment on uh, this podcast through Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to the podcast, or you can go to my blog and leave a comment. And on the blog, you can even leave a voicemail. And if you give your permission, I may even use your voicemail in a future episode of this podcast so that I can share your thoughts with the rest of my audience. I hope that you've been encouraged today, and I hope that as you engage with our culture that you will be a light shining before men that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. For Culture Watch, this is Andrew Gomison saying, Keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 